looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Be ambitious about quieting your life down. Silently your life. I'm often asked, uh, do we have too many activities around the church? Now I'm going to give it to you in balance. I think this church should be doing more. I think we should be having more activities, more events. I think the building ought to be open 24-7. Now relax. This is the governor. I don't believe that all of you should be involved in all of that stuff. You don't need to be here every day the doors are open. You don't have to be involved in every event, every committee, every team. What you need to do is settle down. Know what is the purpose for what God has created you. Notice what your gifts are. Work within your gift and personality set. Know how God has divinely designed you. Sense His leadership. Confirm it through spiritual leaders in your life. And then zero in in your sweet spot. And celebrate the others. When you're driving, pray for the others that are involved in their little parts. But be wise in the selection. Slow down. Settle down. Let's go to the second one here, he says. He says, besides that you aspire to lead, that means control, be in the driver's seat, a quiet life. He says, but also to mind your own business. To mind your own business. I like to say to look on your own business. So whatever you have that God has called you to, sometimes you'll never be great at it because we're keeping too many plates spinning in our life. So it doesn't mean pull back and stop. It does mean get involved in life, get involved in work, get involved in events and tasks, but center down. Do what God has called you to do. Now, if I was in the pew hearing what I'm saying back to me, I still might have the question, but there's so much good out there. There's so many needs out there. And I hear so many uh, appeals. Which one do I choose? Now, that's a whole sermon. But I don't want to leave you helpless. I do want you to know that you're smart enough to be able at least for a while park everything on hold, get alone with God, spend a Saturday, take a sabbatical for a day and get alone with Him so your heart is right. And I promise you that there will be a sweet, small, still voice that will speak to you. It won't be an audible voice, but something will begin to happen. Wait, 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 wait. But remember that if you're regarding iniquity in your heart, it's going to still be hard for you to hear what God wants when you're holding on to a vice, to a sin, and something else, and you're still trying to chart a course for your life when you've got a lot of sand in your decision-making gears. So just seek God, holiness. And I'll tell you that knowing your own business and what it is, you'll know what it is, and then you do it excellently. So focus on your own business. Now, the third here is to labor or to work with your own hands. Look, if you will, it says this, very simple, to work with your own hands as we've commanded you. Now, let me pause and I want to speak to those of you that are out of work right now that are looking for employment. I want to talk to some of you that are sensing that down the road that your job might be terminated or your position might be terminated or the company might be bought out and things might have a big shakeup where you're going. Here's what he's not saying. He is not saying to those of you that are out there that are looking for work and can't find work, feel guilty. He's not saying that. 
what he's speaking about is when there is work, there are things that you can be doing and you choose to sit around. It's those kind of people that can cause a great deal of problem. You begin to cave in on the inside because your own self-worth begins to wobble because you're not productive and God made us to be producers in some measure. And so we begin doing a lot of stuff thinking it's producing, but is it our own business that God's called us to do? So really, he's not wanting you to feel guilty. If you've tried, you're filling out, you're visiting, you're making calls, you're showing up, you're doing everything you can to get a job, and you can't find one yet. No, celebrate it. You stay right where you are. The rest of us, we wrap our arms around that person. We become their prayer partner. We become their network to help them because they want to work. They're humble enough to take almost anything to provide for their family. But now the other group is the others. Now, let me take you back to culture. This was written to a group of people, like I mentioned, in Thessalonica, to a church there. Now, we talked about their sexual culture. Now we need to know what was their work ethic culture. All right, it was more of a Greek culture, although there was a lot of Jewish people there, but there was a Greek culture. The Greeks had the idea that we don't work. Greeks are involved with knowledge and making decisions, and, and we're kind of like the upper crust. But we still need to have things done. So what we do now is we acquire slaves and we get the slaves to do this kind of work for us. So then the church comes in and oddly enough, the church, as they make the appeal for the gospel to go to all different classes of people, it's generally the slave labor level type class that seems to be attracted into the church. And so now you have a lot of these people that are here. Now they're feeling kind of beat down, like, man, I'm no good. I'm going to do all this. So what Paul is doing here is he's elevating the importance of work, that yes, work is a high calling. Yes, work is a mission field. Yes, work is something where you can bring glory to God. And you bring all the other verses to it, it's elevating that class up. But it's also letting that class of aristocracy know that if you have everybody else doing your work, you're missing a blessing as well, that you need to get involved in this. Now, if you will, will you let me just share something on a personal level as a pastor that has pastored all across the country? There seems to be a trend more and more in churches. It'll take me a moment to develop this. You start a church plant, and the church plant is so excited because it's easier to birth a new baby than to resurrect a dead one. Well, maybe I should not say it that way, but it's always easier to do that. And so people get involved because they have a lot of ownership when they get going. But sooner or later, and usually more sooner than later, it starts falling on a bunch of people because of X reasons. Maybe they have more time, more skill set, whatever. They start doing a little bit more. They almost get burned out. But if we can kind of keep this thing going, we might, ah, it's born. And we got the church and it starts going. So now after a number of years, they acquire a building. So now they don't have to pack up little vans and, and, and trailers. And they get the building going. And so now they have to, how are we going to pay for all of this? So they're really struggling between payments on buildings and payment for staff and payment for stuff and all the rest. So that happens. But now the church is maybe 10, 15, 20 years old. And now you've got a group of people that have gone through all that. They said, I paid my dues. I built all this. I was involved in all of that. So now I'm at a particular level that maybe... Financially, we're doing pretty good. So let's go ahead, because I don't have time to paint this, fix that, do this, help with that. Let's hire more people to do that. That's not necessarily bad, but it's also on a slippery slope that could go in the direction of something that would be not as healthy. And so what's happening here is that he's preventing that by saying, you know what, lead a quiet life, center down, do what you're called to do, but be ambitious and work and use your own hands. Now clarify now, some are with a skill set. I can paint, and I have. Digging a ditch isn't too hard, 
for me. That's pretty simple. It's the only job you start at the top and work down. All right, that's pretty easy to do. Now, if you see a wrench in my hand, get it out as fast as you can. Because I don't know what I'm doing, I'll do damage. My toolbox, yellow pages. All right, being that as I am, some of you might say, well, I don't have that skill set, so that means I don't have to work with my hands. Well, sometimes working with your hands is the same in management. You work with your hands, whether it's a keyboard, you work with your hands, whether you're calling someone on the phone to manage and lead, administrate. So I don't want you to think it's just 10 fingers and a palm. Okay, it is whatever you do, it's that your body is in motion to work, that there is a level of laboring. And I'm going to tell you, when you look back over what you did as you skin that knuckle and you drop that sweat, I had ownership. There's part of me in that. And not that I just, 30 seconds, here's a check, bye. Now, we'll accept all checks, keep those cards and letters coming in, hand us your credit cards, we'll appreciate all that. But... The church that's the healthiest is the one that has a proper balance where people in some measure, whatever little level they have, they can get involved working. And it's the same when you go camping, kids, with your mom and dad, setting up the heavy tents. You carry the light load. Let them carry the heavy load, but everybody carries a load. Do I hear an amen on that? And that's really what he's saying here, to labor with our own hands. So he's not condemning that. There was another problem that the Thessalonians had. When that church was started, they began to hear good Bible teaching. They knew that they're going to heaven because Jesus died and he rose again. And by faith alone, they have their sins forgiven. So that was good. But in the Bible teaching they heard, they also heard that that same Jesus is going to come back again. And then they heard that Jesus could come back soon. So all of a sudden what happened is if he's coming back soon, then let's really enjoy our Christianity. Let's really wait on the Lord. So what was happening is they weren't busy bodies, but they were busy bodies. Do you know what I mean by that? Did you catch that? They didn't have busy bodies, but they were busy bodies because they just sat around. And I will tell you that if people are not functioning in a productive way, whatever it might be, paint your own picture, they're not functioning, quiet, own business, working with their hands for a common goal, they will have a tendency to sit back and be Monday morning quarterbacks on their jobs, with their families, in their marriages, with the churches, with the clubs, with the neighbors, with the extended family, because we have too much time on our hands. And he's warning of all of that. He says, Jesus is coming, but wouldn't it be good that when he came back, he found you busy on your mission field, whether it's school or work or whatever level that God's called you to at this time in your life. Well, let's look at a couple other things. Why is this so important? And I'm going to rattle through these a little bit more quickly. He says this, because it is good, because it is a good witness to the world. Notice it says in the passage, it says that you may walk properly toward those who are on the outside of the faith. I believe that when the world looks at us as being hard workers, that the purpose of us working is so we can provide for ourselves, provide for kingdom building and the needs of other people, and we do it in a quiet way, focusing on our skill set, doing our own business, what God's called us to do, and at the same time working hard at it, working with our hands, laboring. They're looking at that and they're saying, now, I want to be like that. I want whatever they got that got them where they are, which would be Christ. So it really does help us. And he says, that's how we walk toward those that are outside properly. The second thing is because it's healthy and we're well-grounded. I'm going to give you a testimony about my dad. I'm giving this to you about my dad because I've heard too many stories since then. My dad was a rough and tough, hard-to-diaper construction worker. I grew up on a painting contractor 
where they actually work with the tools, but they also own their own business. So I know it from both levels, from management, ownership, business, but I also learned it from struggling on the, on, on the ground with the, with the men. I remember my dad, he loved to work. He always used to say, work before pleasure because work is pleasure, Stan. He taught me that whenever you do any kind of work, never sit when you're doing it. So I stand and work at my computer. No, no. But he said, don't do that. You can kneel, you can crouch when you paint, but don't sit. He taught me these work ethics. When he was 75, I remember to the day he said, I am retiring from my business. I am literally selling my tools. He got rid of his truck and station wagon and he bought a little sedan because he didn't want to be tempted to go back to work because now he's going to retire. Four months later, massive heart attack. Could not drive again. He wept every day. Now, I'm not going to say my dad is like everyone, but I'm going to tell you that sometimes when you go into retirement, how many of you have heard people that had such a life, they retire, and soon after that, their life quickly crumbles? Would you raise your hand if you've had that happen, seen that happen? Look, okay. So what does that mean? Don't retire? Yeah, you've got to retire. But I like what one lady in this church told me. She said, I don't retire. I redirect. Think about that for your own health, mental, physical, and spiritual. There's one more that's not on your outline, and I thought I would throw this at you because it's biblical, and how it didn't get on your outline, it's my fault, but I want to show it to you in Scripture. It's right in the same passage. He says, do this that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and then the last part kind of comes in for the kill. It says that you may lack nothing. You may read that and go quickly over it, but if you take that verse, that one phrase, in the context, it's talking about sexual purity. Now, what does it mean if you're morally upright? How will you not lack anything? I'm going to tell you that if you're morally impure, you're going to lack an intimacy with your mate. You're going to lack an intimacy with God. And I'm going to tell you that the Old Testament speaks that those of you that live a moral impure life, whether it's pornography or whatever it is, there is money that's being sucked out of your account. You're having to keep that, that sin going here in some, or quiet maybe. And so money is going out and you will lack. If you do not love properly other people, you will reap what you sow. If you're stingy to other people, they'll be stingy back to you. But you won't lack when you love because you can never outgive God. And frankly, you can never outlive, outgive giving to the body of Christ. And then in this context, if you work quietly, you're not going to be gossiping on your job. You're liable to keep your job. Do you know that more people are terminated from their employment, not because of a lack of skill, but because they can't get along with authority figures or fellow workers? Secondly, if you are working on your job and minding your own business while you're doing it, improving your skill set, producing when you should, showing up when you should, you won't lack. Frankly, you'll be in the minority and probably promoted. And then if you are working hard with your hands, it's likely that if you're in sales, you'll improve your sales. You will not lack. And if you do, God says, I'll take care of you. This passage is not written to those of you that want to be ambitious to become a millionaire or a CEO of a company. Why isn't it that way? Because if I drop this verse in some cultures in this world today, those people who will be a Christian no matter what, they'll still never be rich. They'll still never own a company. May never even own a car, let alone a donkey. No matter how hard they work. But I promise you this, they'll never starve to death. And when they put their head on the pillow at night, they're going to put their head on the pillow and sleep sweet because the Bible says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Well, I don't want you to miss out 
Because some of you are now getting revved up. That means I need to work, 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 work. And you think that's what you have to do to go to heaven. The whole Bible is filled with paradoxes. You don't do anything to get to heaven. Jesus did all the work for you on the cross. All you've got to do is to come to him as a sinner, recognizing that your good works still aren't good enough, and you're hopelessly lost, and you need Christ to forgive you. So you go to him, and you believe that he's the Lord who died and rose again, and you place your faith in him so you can receive the forgiveness of sin, and you're in for his forever family. So you don't do any work to get into his family. Watch this. You don't do any good work so that you don't slip out of his family and get kicked out. You're in. You're sealed. It's a done deal. Now the reason we work is because we are in his family and we can't get kicked out. So now I do this stuff because I love the Lord. And so he now gives us the principles and how to live our Christian life. Not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because we are saved. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know there's a bunch more up there, but I want you to just rest right now in this passage. You have enough now. Excellence is built in everyday places. We think about sex every day. In some measure, there's a vocation or something to do every day. So it's done every single day and we can do it properly, excellently. Excellence is built every day in the decisions we make. I pray that our decision here is not to be lustful, but to be holy. I pray that our decision is not to be lazy, but to be ambitious. Excellence is built every day with everyday faith. What do you do? First, you have to trust in the word that it's truth and that this is the divine plan for us to live, regardless of how the world tells us. This is our, this is our book on how to build our life. So we trust this book. We trust the Lord who wrote this book, that he is inerrant, accurate, perfect. We also trust his sovereignty and his power, for we can't do this ourselves as Christians. We trust his presence that every single day that he's going to help us make the right decisions to be morally pure, no matter the consequences. And there are consequences when we make the right choice. But those consequences will turn into eternal benefits. You need to trust his, his purpose. His purpose is to receive all the glory back to himself. And he says, this is the vehicle with which to do it, and that is the word. So it's, a, it's built every day on faith, but it's also built every moment on the exchange life. It's where everything that he wants us to do, he is. And he will live that out through us. So we have to say, Lord, not I, but thee. I can't, you can, therefore I will. Joseph did it in the Bible. He worked a hard life. Long life. 13 years as a slave. But he had moral character, so when he was tempted, he knew who his boss was, that his boss let him do anything he wanted with everything the boss had except don't touch his wife. When his wife came on to him again and again, he still said no. He suffered the consequences, but later on became the greatest. What an example has been used for millenniums. Then you have Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua. Humble, hard worker. Minded his own business, what he was called to do. Great faith in God. Put in a position of leadership. And it goes on and on. Someone who was lazy, who didn't mind his own business was King David, as great as he was. 
He retired early, but didn't redirect properly. So while the other kings are off doing what they should be doing, protecting their country, their people, he stayed home because he wanted to fraternize with another married woman. And from that moment on, he lived the high cost of a saved man's sin. And he too is used as an example in that way. So folks, today is a day of decision making. All of us in here, including the one that's up here, has some decisions to make. We're in God's family by faith alone. Maybe you're not. So we welcome you in if you'll place your faith in Christ. Now going to heaven is not something you do as good deeds. It's something that you do by simple faith. So if today is the day you're ready to say, I want my sins forgiven. I look back, I've had moral impurity. I I regret that. I look back and I have not been loving and kind to certain people in my life. And that's wrong. They're wrong. They did all that. But Lord, that's between you and them. You deal with them right now. I am not the judge nor the jury. And least of all, the executioner. So Lord, just between you and me, I sinned in that and I'm sorry. And Lord... I've been meddling in everybody else's business. I've been telling everybody else how to live their life and run their families. and I haven't been taking care of me. And so, Lord, I come to you as a sinner, and I need a Savior. And you said you're the only Savior, so I'm coming to you now. And I'm going to place my faith in you. I'm depending on you to keep your word. You said you'd forgive me of all my sin. And so right now, I'm trusting in you for that. And I want to say thank you. And so with your help and you living your life in me, I don't know how that works. It's too mystical for me. But, if, but you do it, Lord. I, I, I want to do this. I want to have an excellent life. I want it because it's right. I want it because I need it for me. I want it because all those around me need to see an authentic Christian. So help me, Lord. Is there anyone in here, my dear friends, that would like for me to pray for you because today is the day you're calling upon Christ to be your Savior. It's not even a prayer. It's more of a, just a, a trust, an exchange of trusting yourself and your works to Christ. Is there anyone? Would you slip up your hand? You won't have to say anything. won't have to come down an aisle. I won't pray your name out loud. just want to know if you're trusting Christ today. Is there anyone at all? Put up your hand. Anyone today trusting Christ? Never done it before. Okay, Christians, how many of you would like to have prayer because something that was said from the Word of God today was like God spoke to you and it was a truth that either was reminded to you or it's something new but you want to embrace by his power and you'd like for me to come alongside you in my prayer and pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Would you slip up your hand now? Oh, amen, amen. Bless you, bless you. It's important for you to commune with the Lord but then put some working clothes on with that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for making your word so practical. I could look at it and have better faith now. I wouldn't know how, but then you say that there are practical areas in my life that you want me to address, like sexuality and the world of work I live in. And so, Father, as a faith family, I'm, I'm bringing us all to the throne of grace. And, Father, I'm welcoming you there as you speak to us. So, Lord, I pray today as we leave here very specifically that no one would leave with a spirit of discouragement over their past. And, Father, that they'll know that it's easy to let Satan get them down about what's happened or didn't happen, whether it's in morality or their ambitious, their vocation. 
I pray that none would leave with any false hopes about the future, that somehow everything's going to be perfect later on in the day and that they're never going to sin again. But Lord, I pray that they'll never forget that they have a, a Savior, a forgiver in their life who is you. Lord, I pray that we would leave with a new conviction about today with all of our heart that we will live in excellent faith by your power for your glory. We look forward to what you're going to do. We recognize that before we leave today, that when we do leave, we're not leaving alone, that we have a family here, a community here, that together, Father, we're pilgrims, brothers and sisters who love each other and will do what we can to help each other live out that excellent faith. Now, Father, we come to you. We recognize your spirit in our lives and that all we know to do and how to do is because we depend upon you for all of this to happen. Now, Father, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh